Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Luke. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 14. Now, if you're keeping track of such things, we are in message number 50. So 50 messages we've already gone through the Gospel Record of Luke, and we still got a lot more left to go. <clears throat> Probably about 80 messages in all, so a little bit more than halfway through, but there's a lot in the Gospel Record of Luke going through the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find our way to the Gospel Record of Luke in chapter 14. Jesus Christ is beginning his trek towards the city of Jerusalem. He knows that when he gets to the city of Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested, put on a legal trial. He's going to be crucified on a cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, and on the third day he's going to rise again to live forevermore. But on his way, he is going to opposition after opposition. Everything in the world to try to stop him to get to the Lord, uh, to get to the cross of Calvary where he could die for our sins. And the Pharisees are the biggest roadblocks, doing everything they can to try to embarrass the Lord Jesus Christ and to try to make him foolish. But of course, they're all of their efforts to stop Jesus and to make him look foolish just gets turned back around them time and time again. That same thing is going to be true in this passage as once again the Pharisees attempt to set a trap for the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice with me in the Gospel record of Luke chapter number 14. The Gospel record of Luke chapter 14 and notice with me starting at verse 1. The Gospel record of Luke chapter 14 and verse 1. And it came to pass that as he, Jesus, went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they helped their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And answered to them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. And he put forth a parable to those which are bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief room, saying unto them, When thou art bidden... Of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than, th than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, and go and sit at the lowest room, when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher, then thou shalt have worship in the presence of them that will seat 
sit at meat with thee. For whomsoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. For they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that eateth bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they begin with one consent to make excuse. And the first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have brought, bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So that the servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said unto his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes and of the city to bring in the poor hither the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of these men which were bidden shall taste my Supper, And with this, we see a great theme woven in these 24 verses here. And if you don't mind, maybe we could just shorten it to this. An invitation to supper. An invitation to supper. And with the Lord's help, with this being the theme of everything that's being done here, we want to see what the Lord Jesus Christ is going to use this event to teach, dealing with this invitation supper. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, we're just asking that you would open up your scriptures in a special way, that we would have understanding, that we could see clearly what you're teaching, and that we could apply it unto ourselves. Lord, there's a lot of things to teach here, and there's a lot of things to get across. Help us to be wise about it and teach those things that you want to be taught even now, that we can make a proper application within our life for your glory, for your honor. Fill me with your spirit. I recognize that physically I need you once again. And I'm thankful that you are trustworthy, that my trust and dependence on you is not misplaced. I thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. As we deal with this invitation to supper, the first thing that we see is an invitation to supper by the Pharisee. The invitation to supper by the Pharisee. Notice with me in verse number one. <clears throat> and it came to pass as he, Jesus, went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. Now verse 1 already has a lot of things to it. Once again we come to a Sabbath day. And as the Lord Jesus Christ custom, he goes and he 
preaches in the, in the synagogues during the Sabbath day. And as he's in this little place in Perea, the chief Pharisee, so this is not just a Pharisee, but he's also in charge of the synagogue, but he is also part of the Sanhedrin. He's part of that ruling council. He is someone who has status. He is someone with much influence and much power. And this is the man who invited Jesus to this supper. And so as he invited him, the Lord Jesus Christ went. By the way, if you're keeping track, this is the third supper that is mentioned within the gospel record of Luke that Jesus Christ has been invited to by a Pharisee. The third time that the Pharisees have brought them to their house all of them with a motive to try to trap Jesus Christ, to try to entangle him, to try to make him look bad. And let's see how this is going to turn out as this chief Pharisee has brought the Lord Jesus Christ in. Notice at the very end of it where it says, and that they watched him. Now, how would you like to be invited to supper for the purpose of entrapping you? And now they're watching him. They're watching every move. They're trying to see everything. They're looking for anything. They're studying him. They're trying to find everything. Now someone may say, why would Jesus Christ go? Why would he even bother? He knows what they're going to do. May I say it's because the Lord Jesus Christ still loved that Pharisee. And once again, he's given every opportunity to try to win this man to himself, to try to show him the truth, to try to be a blessing to him. And so Jesus Christ is going with a different motive. He's going to win this person while the Pharisees has the motive of trying to trip up the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice this. As they're watching this, we see the trap is laid. Verse number two. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. Now the dropsy, that may be a fun word, you may imagine because you're clumsy. But this is actually a medical condition where someone starts filling up full of fluid. That they're retaining fluid and the fluid won't go down. And so what happens is that their extremities begin to swell up. It makes the skin all nasty and puffy. Uh, the, the water begins to collect inside of the body. And there's different treatments. And what happens is it becomes very painful, makes them hard to move, and it's hard to deal with. But a side effect of this is it makes them very thirsty. So they always want to drink, which allows more fluid retention. It just becomes a very difficult um, condition to deal with. And so here's a man who's been brought in presumably by the Pharisees. It could have been that he came because it was an open dinner, but regardless, here's a situation where there's a man who has very much an infirmity. And so Jesus looks at the man, looks at the Pharisees, and he asks a question in verse number three. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day. Now notice Jesus didn't say, can I heal on the Sabbath day? He didn't say, do you think I'm able to heal? He said, is it lawful? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Now remember that the Sabbath day is one of their most important days and most important things that they have. And as they're looking at the man in the dropsy, may I give another background? Most people believe that that medical condition, according to the Pharisees, they thought that medical condition came about because that man was cursed of God because of sexual sins. So here's a man who's messed up, who's, who in their mind has offended God in some way, and so God is 
publicly putting judgment upon him by allowing him to have an infirmity. There are others that may not go that far, but they would say because this man of the dropsies has broken their law in some way, somehow, that God is now bringing a judgment upon him. So here's a man that in the Pharisee's mind is under the judgment of God. Now Jesus looks at him and says, listen, is it lawful? Not can I? Do you think that I can? Is it lawful for to heal on the Sabbath day. Now this is an important question because to the Pharisees, the idea of the Sabbath day, not only does it have a lot of rules, but if you were to trim it down to some basics, their basic idea is that you can only do on the Sabbath day the things that you had to do. If you could put it off till tomorrow, then that's what you should do. And so here's a man who's been under this medical condition for a while. When Jesus is looking at him and saying, is it lawful for me to heal on the Sabbath day? Here's a man in the Pharisee's eyes that has been under the judgment of God. Here's a man in the Pharisee's minds that have been suffering for this for a while. So what is one more day? Sure, you could heal. Why not wait till tomorrow? And so when what they did in verse number four, and they helped their peace. Now normally in that culture when someone holds their peace it's usually an idea of an agreement but this is not agreement. It's no one wants to say anything. And so they're holding their peace. And he, Jesus, took him, the man full of the dropsies. This idea of took carries the idea that he physically touched him. Maybe he hugged him. Maybe he brought him close. Maybe he grabbed his arm. But he physically touched him. Now again, for the Pharisees, this is the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, after going and spending time in the synagogue, worshiping the Lord, you do not want to ceremonially clean yourself, defraud yourself, make yourself unclean by touching someone under the present judgment of God. So in their mind, when Jesus touched him, Jesus has now broken the rules. Not only is he healing him, he's touching and defiling himself at supper. You're supposed to be eating. Now you're with us and you're ceremonially unclean. And they're not happy about this. So Jesus took him and healed him and let him go. So this wasn't just a passing touch, nor it was an accidental touch. It was a purposeful grab, touch, hug, whatever it is. But they saw him. Jesus held on to this man for a moment. It wasn't accidental. It was a purposeful grab. And they watched that. Notice as Jesus answers them now in their objection. And answer them, verse number 5, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fall into a pit, and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And so when Jesus asks them this question here, he says, Listen, which one of you, if you had an ox or donkey fall into a pit, would you not take the time and pull him out? Or would you say, listen, it could wait till tomorrow. I mean, he's not going anywhere. He's just stuck there. I could come back tomorrow and pull him out. Correct? Couldn't they have done that? I mean, if someone breaks down on the side of the road, do they immediately fix it? Some of you have to wait a little bit to go get the parts or whatnot, right? It's something that could wait. You know what Jesus is pointing out? That that ox or that donkey was more important to the Pharisees than a person. Listen, you're taking time to pull someone out that you could have waited, but you pulled him out anyways. Here's a man. Sure, he could have waited, 
Well, why not heal them right now if we have the ability? Why not? Isn't it good to do right on the day of the Lord? And yet, they did not answer. Verse 6, they could not answer him again to these things. So we start with this invitation to supper by the Pharisee. And the purpose was for the Pharisee was to entrap Jesus. But notice Jesus headed him off. They didn't even say anything in this encounter. They're just watching, don't want to say anything, and they watch this. Well, because they're still not talking, Jesus says, fine, I'll tell you a story. We see a second thing here. Invitation to supper etiquette. An invitation to supper etiquette. Notice what he says in verse number 7. And he, Jesus, put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked how they chose uh, out the chief rooms, saying unto them, now notice this. Notice that words in verse number 7, he marked. Now remember, when he first got there, they watched him. But do you know that Jesus was watching them too? And he was watching how they acted and how they behaved when they were getting ready to eat supper. Now notice as he teaches this parable, and this parable is based off of what he just witnessed when they were beginning supper. Notice with me, verse number 8. When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, so let's say we have a special event, sit not down at the highest room, lest a more honorable man be bidden of him. So as Jesus took time, he switched places with him. And he's now taking the time to teach them a lesson. Now, in the Jewish world, they would have each table would be called a tri, uh, tricelium. I'm not going to spell that for you, but it's a tricelium. And what they would do is at each table in this tricelium, they would have a special couch. That's what they used. They didn't use chairs like we did. They would have a special couch where they would lean on their left arm and they would eat with their right. And so they would sit at the table and they would lay down and that's how they would eat. Now, the way that it was set up is that in it, you would have a table. Let's imagine that there was a uh, a meal, and this would be the platform. This would be where the important people would sit. And the most important person would sit in the very center seat of the center table. Then you would have two tables aligning the side here. And the most important part of this table would be the center seat. The most important place on this table would be the center seat. Now, if you have three tables and you would have three seats on each one, you would have nine seats. Traditionally, the host who would be putting things on would automatically put him in the lowest seat, which would be seat number nine. Okay? And the guest of honor would be sitting in seat number one. And each seat had a number based off of importance. So you would have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay? Kind of get that in your mind? And so Jesus watches as these Pharisees, when they're getting ready to supper, what they're doing is they're fighting and, and doing everything to get in the seat because which seat showed their importance? How great I am. And by the way, when they're making all of this, Jesus is letting them pick whichever seat they want. So guess what? Jesus is not getting the guest of honor seat. They're putting him in the lowest seat. Here, they have purposely dishonored Jesus by putting him in the lowest seat in a supper they invited him in. Because they wanted to show positionally in front of the whole crowd how great they were. Look at how amazing I am. 
And so Jesus tells this story in verse number 8. When thou art bidden uh, of any man to, to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thee be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. So imagine this. So let's imagine that the guest of honor, all right, I can't see, take seat number one. But you know what? I'm the most important person in this room other than the guest of honor. I'm going to sit in seat number two. I'm going to sit right next to him. And so what happens is that someone more important comes in and the guy who's organizing the dinner comes up and says, listen, I need that seat. And now the guy in front of everyone has to stand up and go to her lower seat. And there's a humiliation from it. Oh, I didn't know my proper place. I now have to pick whatever seat's left over. Now I'm in a lower position than what I thought I was. You see, it's an idea of status. I want to be seen how great I am before everyone else. And so there was a, a politics when you're picking the seat. Is that you want to try to guess which seat you truly fit in. So that way you're not asked to get up and change seats. And so this is a big deal and there's a lot of politicking going on and a lot of idea of how egotistical and how great you really think you are compared to how great everyone else thinks you are. Now for the Pharisees, politics are everything. And there's an idea of if I scratch your back, you'll scratch my back. And so you know what? If I honor you, you honor me. Now notice as he goes on in this story. But when thou art bidden, go and sit at the lowest room. And when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then thou shalt have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. So Jesus says, if you really want to do things right, you pick the lowest spot. Pharisees like, no, no, well, that's, that's crazy talk. Now you pick the lowest spot, and if the person here notices you're at the lowest spot, he says, no, 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 you don't belong at this low spot. Here, let me get you a different spot. And now in front of everyone, everyone sees how good you are, not because you said you were great, but because someone else honored you. Does that make sense? Jesus says, do it that way. You put yourself in the lowest position and you let someone else honor you rather than you try to force honor upon yourself. Notice in verse 11 as he wraps this idea up here. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So Jesus here is taking a principle that listen. Don't try to brag about how spiritual you are. Don't try to prove to everyone how great you are. Listen you be a servant. You be abased. And you let someone else take care of that. Now he takes it from the human realm. And he now steps up just a little bit more. Verse 12. Then he, then said he also to him that bade him. So now as he did that par parable, he said it because he had watched the Pharisees take their time to fight about whose seat they're on and negotiation. Here, you sit here and I'll sit here. And No, 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 you know, we'll flip. And so there was this big thing before supper started and Jesus just watched. Let them pick whatever they wanted. And then he practiced what he preached, just took the lowest seat. And no one brought him up higher because they all thought they were better than him. And so Jesus addresses this. Now he looks at the man who invited him, the chief Pharisee, and he speaks to him directly. Verse number 12. 
Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and recompense be made to thee. So again, remember what I said about politics. And he says, listen, don't get in the game of saying, I'm going to invite the, the mayor, because then the mayor's going to invite me. Don't go to your rich guy and bring him unto supper because you know that he's duty bound and honor bound to show you honor back. Don't do it for the purpose of trying to politic your way into a better position. He says, instead of having a dinner where you were inviting all the people who could do you a favor back, how about this idea? Why don't you invite people who can't do anything for you? Notice with me in verse number 13. He says, but when thou makest a feast called the poor the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Now remember what I said before in a different message, that those that were injured, those that were maimed, those that had deformity, according to Jewish culture, was supposed to be invisible. They weren't supposed to be seen. And the Pharisees thought they were better than all of them. Look at how great I am. Look at how religious. Look, there's no infirmity on me. There's no blemish because I don't have the judgment of God upon me. And they had the idea that anyone who was infirmed or maimed or whatever else had something wrong with them in the judgment of God. But look at me, how great and perfect I am. Look at how wonderful I am. And so when Jesus says, now listen, if you're going to make a supper, why don't you invite the poor? The poor can't pay you back. They're not going to invite you to their supper. How about the maimed? The ones that just are stuck. How about the lame? That means there's something wrong with their legs and they, they don't look good. Or how about the blind? So the blind is going to need some help. How about bring them to your supper? Notice what Jesus says. Verse 14. And thou shall be blessed. Why? For they cannot recompense thee. Don't do things just because you know someone can do something back. Why not be a blessing to someone who can't be a blessing to you? And guess where you're going to get your reward at? For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. At the resurrection of the just. This is the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. This is when the people are going to be judged, not for their sins, but for what they did for the Lord. And this is going to lead into the millennial kingdom. So the implication of this is that if you do these things, God will reward you later on and it's going to carry through through the millennial kingdom. Work for the blessings, not for here, but for later on. You could work and influence people and politic, but guess what? Your reward's going to be here. But you go ahead and be a blessing to people who can't be a blessing to you back. And you let God reward you. Now he's addressing this to the chief Pharisee. And so the idea suggestion that Jesus would tell him to invite poor people here? Maimed? Halt? Blind? Bring them here? That's, that's just, their, their, their mind is blown. What kind of crazy talk is this? Oh, but then it gets worse. Notice this. The invitation to supper compelled them to come in. So, there's always that one. Always that one. If you're teaching a class, you got that one. You preach in a church service, there's always that one. So, in verse 15, Jesus just got through talking about you don't honor yourself. You need to be a blessing to those that can't do you any favors back. And God will bless you in the millennial kingdom. 
So watch as this goofball who's at one of the chairs there. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, so this man said to Jesus, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now that may sound good on the surface, but what is in there is very, very awful. He says, listen, <laughs> yeah, guess who's going to be at the millennial kingdom? This guy. And guess who's going to get the best rewards? This guy. I like that preaching, Jesus. You're, you're talking about how great I am. <laughs> Did you not hear what I said? So here's a guy who starts bragging, you know. Now, he's already made an assumption, first of all, that he's going to be at the millennial kingdom. Jesus is going to address this in a second. Second of all, he's thinking, you know what? I'm getting all the rewards. Do you know the apostle Paul was scared to death of the judgment seat of Christ? He says, I strive to do these things so that way I won't be considered shipwrecked, put on the shelf. He says, I strive to these things that I shall not suffer loss. Here's the Apostle Paul who was worried about standing before God and losing his rewards. The judgment seat of Christ is a big deal. And here's this goofball who says, not only am I going to the Molino kingdom, of course I'm going to get the best stuff. Don't you understand who I am? I'm a great Pharisee. I'm a great... I love God. Sure, look at me. Look how great I am. How, look how wonderful I am. Of course, I'm going to get the best rewards. You imagine how ludicrous this was? Jesus is teaching about this. And there's always that one who thinks that he's so great and so wonderful that he's going to stand before God. And God's going to, man, there's never been a Christian like you. Oh, look at, just look at him. Everyone look at everyone. Wonderful. Always that one who thinks that he's the greatest thing that God has ever given to this earth. Who thinks that I'm going to step right into the judgment seat of God and God's going to say, listen, I'm giving you everything because you, you just won. Just look at you. He missed it. He's not understanding at all. It is a big deal. So, because the guy opened his mouth, Jesus said, all right, fine, let's answer this. And Jesus tells another parable. Notice with me in verse 16. Then said he, Jesus, to him, the goofball who spoke, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time. So notice this. In this, there's two invitations. First of all, here's a man who is a great supper. And he, this is a man that has great influence, great power. Everyone knows him. He's rich. And he sent invitations out like an RSVP. So that way he can know who's coming. And so all these people had already agreed that they were going to show up. But when the supper actually shows up, comes time, verse 17, and he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, meaning those people that were not only invited but had agreed to come, Come, for all those things are now ready. And they all with one consent. Notice that word consent. And they with all one consent began to make excuse. That word consent implies conspiracy. That they all had agreed together that they were not going to go. It could have been like this. Hey, did you get that invitation to go to that supper? Yeah. Yeah. He says, are you going to go? Well, I was thinking about it, but you know, I don't want to be the only one not going. Well, you know, I was thinking about not going too. Oh, good. hey, Joe, we're just talking about supper. Are you thinking about going? Well, I guess I have to. Hey, we're thinking about no going. Oh, well, then if you guys aren't going, then I'm not going. 
And so they all with one consent had agreed together beforehand. So now when the servant came and said, it's time for supper, they all with one consent began to give an excuse why they couldn't come. Now, in America, that's not a big deal because you flake out in RSVPs all the time. Yeah, I'm going to show up to this and go up there. But remember, in the ancient world, in this custom, this is a no-no. No one would ever deny an invitation once they accepted it. Now, if they knew they had an appointment, they wouldn't accept the invitation in the first place. But the invitation has been set, and the people agreed to it. And now when it is time to go, they all with one consent have decided not to go. Now, when they would do that, they would first of all, to the Pharisees right now, they're like, why wouldn't you go? You would always go to a rich person's supper because there's status there. Even if you didn't like the guy, you would still show up. Second of all, to go to a rich supper, remember they don't have restaurants. They don't have it. To go to a rich supper is a big dining affair. You would always go because you would be able to get food you normally wouldn't be able to have. There was all kinds of reasons. Status and the food and everything. You would never say no. Again, in America, we have no big deals for flaking out with something we've already agreed to go. But in the ancient world, you would never, ever, ever, unless there was an emergency. And even an emergency would have have to be something to physically keep you from coming. You would go even in the midst of an emergency to go to a dinner like this. Again, trying to explain how big of a deal this is. So they begin with one consent, meaning they had agreed together to make excuse. So the first one said, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go see it. I pray thee, have me excused. So the servant comes and says, listen, supper's ready, let's go. And the guy says, no, 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 I can't go. I know it's supper. Now I know that there's a big fight between supper and dinner, but regardless, it's evening time, okay? And this guy says, listen, I just bought some land and I've never seen it before. And so I figured this would be a good time at nighttime to go and see this new land that I bought and just to kind of see what it's like. Does that make sense? You understand this is such a flimsy excuse. It was insulting. It was very clear that this was a weak excuse. It wasn't legitimate at all. It was a flimsy excuse. It'd be almost like, honey, I know that you made supper, but I can't come home tonight because I bought myself a house. You see, it doesn't make sense. All right. So they go to the second guy. Verse number 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. Now remember, this is starting to be evening time. I pray thee have me excused. So here's a guy who says, I can't go tonight. I just bought five yoke of oxen. So I just bought five uh, sets of oxen. And I need to go prove them. Now, what does that mean? Now, nobody would ever buy oxen without first proving them. Oxen are a great investment. And so, sometimes animals don't get along. And so, you have to make sure that they could actually do the job and work together instead of try to fight each other the whole time. Then, on top of that, you would have to see if they were strong enough to actually plow the field. They may look good enough, but you have to put them on a harness and actually see if they get along. And then also make sure that they're strong enough to get the job done. Nobody, nobody in the ancient world would ever buy oxen to work the field without making sure that they work first. And at night. It's not a good time. It'd be like me saying, honey, I know that you made a great supper, but I can't come home because I just bought five cars and I need to go see if they start. 
it's not only is it a bad excuse, it's an insulting excuse. It doesn't work out. And then here's this guy, verse number 19, or verse number 20, and another said, I married a wife, therefore I can't come. He didn't even say, please have me excused. He just said, I'm not coming. I, I got married, I'm not coming. What? Now, let me kind of illustrate what a big deal this is. Let's just imagine that it's inauguration day, and you are invited to some of the biggest balls and galas inside of Washington, D.C., and, and you're in the area. And when it comes time for the big galas and the, where you can get a hobnob with the most uh, influential people in society and you get to be with them and you get to see all these people and mingle with them and talk with them and they say, it's time to show up in the gala and said, I can't, I got to go mow my lawn. Is that a good enough excuse to miss something that you've been invited and agreed to go to? I, 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 I can't, uh, you know, my favorite ball game's on, I'm sorry, I can't. You understand, this is a big deal. This is an idea here where they are purposely insulting the Lord. They've accepted the invitation, but now when it's time, they refuse to go. And they come up with the stupidest, lamest excuses for the purpose of angering the master. And guess what? It worked. Notice with me in verse number 21. So that the servant came and showed the, his Lord these things, and the master of the house being angry. Now, what is this talking about? We know that Jesus Christ is the master, and he's prepared a great supper. And in the Old Testament, he sent prophet after prophet after prophet to tell the Hebrew people of the Messiah. Of the promised Redeemer. And they all supposedly were looking forward to seeing that Redeemer. And now that it is time to sit and have supper with the Redeemer. They're refusing. They're refusing to accept Him. They're refusing to go to Him. And they're giving the stupidest excuses to come and see the Master. And they're doing it for the purpose of provoking Jesus. And it's working. Again, for all of those that think that Jesus is always love and he is always love. Here it says that he is angry. You know what Jesus Christ has done for the Hebrew people to draw them to himself? Everything he's done, miracles and blessing them. And after all of that, when it's time for them to come to him... They refuse and not only refuse, give excuses. And yet the whole time, we can't wait to see our Redeemer. We can't wait to see the Messiah. We just don't want you. But this is the Messiah God sent. Well, someone else. It was insulting. And so the servant came and showed the Lord these things. And the master of the house being angry said to his servant, Get out quickly into the streets and lanes of of the city. So here was the commandment. Go to the servants. Servant, I want you to go into the streets of the city. So this is within the confines of the city. You go to the streets. I want you to go to the alleyways. Those are the lanes. So go within the city. Go and I want you to find the poor. I want you to bring in the maimed. I want you to bring in the halt. And I want you to bring in the blind. Now again, these are all people that would never be accepted inside of a Pharisee supper. 
And so God's, Jesus says, I want you to go out and find all of those. And so notice what happened, verse 22. After the servant completed that, he reported in. Verse 22. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou was commanded, and yet there is room. So after going out and going to there, hey, you want to go to dinner? Okay. And brings them in. Hey, you want to go to a dinner? Come in. And they went out and find everyone they possibly could. And guess what? There's still room. Remember, this Lord had made a great supper. Made to feed everyone. And when those that were bidden wouldn't come in, Jesus went and commanded, go find everyone else and bring them in. But notice there's still room. And the Lord said unto his servant, go out into the highways and hedges. Now the highways are going to be outside of the city. So instead of just staying in the city, go out to the outside of the city. And go to the highways. And you go to the hedges. The hedges would be like under the bridges, the uh, unmarked places. And command them and compel them to come in. That word compel we'll get to in a second. Compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Now, the Jewish people had a hard time hearing about the halt, the poor, the lame, the blind. But the one thing that they had going with them is that they were still Jewish people. But when they went outside of the city, now he says, go get the Gentiles. Go get those that are not even allowed into the city. And compel them to come in. Now that word compel needs to be defined. Now we know that religion over the years has tried to use this verse. And use that word compel that says listen if you don't come to this supper I'm going to shoot you in the head. That's never what Jesus meant by it. The word compel carries the idea to convince them. And why do they need to be convinced? Because they weren't allowed in the city in the first place. And it's almost like are you kidding? I mean is this a joke? Is this candid camera? I mean... there's, there's no way they, they would allow me in. You, you sure? And it was the idea that yes, this is for you. You come to this supper. You come and take them by the hand and walk them in. Because they are accepted. Those are the ones that are looking for. All of them refuse to. That we have to compel them. There are times that we have to convince them. Yes, this is for you. You're not excluded. You are part of this. We want you to come and be part of the supper. Yes, you. And you. And you. But me, don't you understand how bad I am? I understand. You understand the Jewish people hate me? I understand. Come in anyways. And compel them. Convince them. Persuade them to come in. Go out to them. Now again, now the Pharisees are having a gasket. Because they were bidden. They were the one invited. The Pharisees knew more about the Bible than anyone else. They knew the promises. They knew everything God said. They knew everything that God had done to bring them in. And they refused to accept God's promises of Messiah. They refused to accept Jesus the Messiah. And instead of going to him, they made stupid, flimsy, insulting excuses. So Jesus said, fine, I'll take everyone else. And when that's full, let's go to the Gentiles and we bring them in. Now notice there are some people who are now not invited. Notice it goes out in verse 24. For I say unto you. Now may I say the the parable ends in verse number 23. The story ends in verse 23. And verse number 24, uh, our English language doesn't get across it as well. But it says, but I say unto you. This is a you that's plural. And it's a you that's being direct address. So now he's looking to the Pharisees and say, but I say unto you. The ones I'm looking at right now. You, none of these men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. He says, listen, I gave you the invitation. 
I told you about it. You waited for it. And now when it is time, you refused it. And so because you refused it, guess what? I'm going to go to the people who are halt, lame, that have problems, that have issues. I'm going to bring them in. And when I still have room, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles will come to my supper, but you will not. This is pretty clear. They had every opportunity to respond to God. And because they refused to respond to God, God finally got angry and said, okay, you're done. I'll get everyone else and I'll allow them to come, but you're not coming to my supper. Now, of course, the Pharisees rejected Jesus Christ and Israel as a nation rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus kept his word and he went to the Gentiles. And we're at the time now where God is still trying to compel all the Gentiles to come to a supper. And I'm so thankful that there is a wedding feast that we get to be a part of. And we're bidden to a supper and the invitation to everyone is to come, come, come. Oh, and our job as the servants is to compel those those to come in. The supper is for them. It doesn't matter who they are, what color they are, what race they are, what gender they are. They all are to come. They may be rejected by society. We are to come. And it's our job to compel them to come in. Why? Because Jesus has a great supper that all can feed off of. And there's still room. And we're, we as good servants are supposed to bring them all in. That's our job. And so all of this is dealing with a supper. It starts with a supper dinner with a Pharisee, which ends up turning to something else where they start talking about etiquette. And when the smart Alec decided to speak up, Jesus said, fine, let me just make it clear to you. You're not coming. I invited you, you reject it. You're not coming. Now again, it is a very dangerous thing to hear the invitation of the Lord over and over and over. And not to accept that dinner invitation. Not to accept that invitation to come to him. Not to accept that invitation to get saved. Not to accept that invitation to get right with him. So many people give excuses. Well, I want to live my life. I want to do whatever I do. It doesn't matter. Your, your, your excuses are flimsy, weak, and insulting. You know Jesus Christ died for you because he loved you. And not only does he love you, he wants to spend all of eternity with you. With you! No one else may want to spend time with you, but he does. And you're invited to come in. And you're invited. And there is a judgment seat where you'll stand before God and give an account if you're saved. And what is the servant's job to do? To compel them to come in. To bring in all of those. We're not supposed to look for all of the middle class and rich people. We're to find everyone and bring them in. Even if they don't look like they're going to be a help to us. They'll be a hurt to us. Bring them in anyways. Our job is to bring them in. That Jesus supper is invitation for all. Just accept that supper. And bring them in. Bring them in. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.